welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. In the beginning, darkness was in the heart of an image unshaped, pre-existing light poetically into the space, earth on an easel. Powerful paintings of let there bees, peaceful sounds serenade in the wavy seas, chaos ceased. The original artist's eyes are blinking stars. One by one, he knows them by name. Creation responds in applause with iridescent colors, artistic wonders, spirit Jesus and God, the Trinity infinitely moving as one squad. Squad up! Elected man, out of all that was made, the craftsmanship or the workmanship of the Imago Dei breathed in our frame, came from eternity, entering time, entering seasons as an exact representation of God, a king to redeem us, a perfectly imperfect tapestry points to the majesty who takes the dust of the ground and pounds out a masterpiece. Wow. Creation was created to worship the creator. Yet oftentimes, we exchange the truth for a lie. And creation worships created things, opposed to him who is greater. And man, we forget who we are inside, or which way to go. We forget that his fingerprint is on our very souls. You see, he didn't just speak our being into fruition. He finger painted with muddy acrylic Humanity's existence, the canvas is his, you are his chosen exhibit. So in trying to understand what God's will is, seek first the kingdom and righteousness and all things will be given. Just know he had a purpose for you since the beginning he did it. Stensued you in your mother's womb, what he started, you know he'll finish. Just leave him the results and illustrate the power of his spirit. Be the portrait, making the invisible vivid, you were created for good living. So be encouraged, my sisters. Be faithful, my brethren. For you are now hanging on the walls of heaven. Yo, we could do better than that. Let's give it up again for my man, Stevener. He wrote that for us yesterday. Stevener and I, we go way back. I actually met him when he was a college student at Indiana University. I was uh, at a retreat that he was at doing auditions for students who were interested in using their musical abilities and artistic sensibilities to do a uh, mission trip. And so he came in and, you know, he, I could tell he had bars. Nothing has changed. <laughs> And he ended up, uh, we, we brought him in for what was supposed to be a seven-week mission trip with these other folks. And what started out just as seven weeks became seven years of us doing music all around the world to present 
the gospel message to people so that they could hear a gospel message. And so the group, Level 316, we actually recorded an album together on Cross Movement Records and just had an incredible time together. We've done life together. And this dude came all the way down from Chicago to start this process right with this sermon series on Masterpiece. Thank you, my brother, for that. Yeah. So prior to Tamika, my wife Tamika and I moving here, uh, we, for seven years, were serving with a uh, ministry called the Impact Movement and Impact Music in particular. And initially, it was interesting because I came when we first were asked to do this just kind of for the summer with this attitude of like, okay, I need to fix these distracted and oftentimes just uh, disinterested artists. So that my perspective was, you know, I was doing campus ministry and I was oftentimes frustrated while how, you know, I'd see them just being somewhat disengaged. But after spending some time with these artists and, and so many more, I realized that they weren't the problem. But oftentimes it's the churches, the ministries, the organizations that utilize and even exploit creatives but don't invest in them. And that I had the same mentality. We didn't really make space for them. And I realized that one night when we had done an outreach concert, we had set up the equipment, tore it down at Virginia Beach, right there um, on the shore. Incredible concert. We got in about 1 a.m. And then the next morning we were doing a worship set at a church. So we had to get there two, three hours before the actual church started about 6 a.m. in order to set up and run through and all that. And, and all of a sudden now, because I was kind of on the inside perspective, I realized that these bands and these musicians that I often saw talking with each other and whatnot were actually trying to set the stage and, and set the table for us to be able to experience worship. But I hadn't realized that because that wasn't my point of reference. So all of a sudden, my vision changed. I saw sheep without a shepherd who needed to have spaces where they could, in their own artistic creativity, grow and develop. And we needed to push back on these results-driven, sterile, and oftentimes flattened understanding of who God is and how he operates. So Stephen and over 100 more musicians, actors, graphic designers, singers, audio engineers, and others retaught me to hear the music of the gospel. And I've been dancing to it ever since. We had bands and, and, and acting groups and, and other things, and it just helped me to see. And so in this series, Masterpiece, we want you to hear the music too. We want you to paint with more vivid colors. <laughs> Take you from that eight-color crayon box. Remember those? And upgrade you to a 64-color one. We want to help you listen to the three-part harmony of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit serenading us with a song that says, Come and be who I created you to be. Find your meaning and purpose and hope in me. But before we can go there, we have to kind of rediscover how we got to this point. And one of the clear moments that I had that helped me to make these, kind of connect these dots, was a, a, a key job that I had to perform on a regular basis was being an audio engineer, which I had to learn from scratch. So this is me like 10 years ago running sound at, you know, at an event. 
And what I learned was that a major aspect and responsibility of my job was to listen. You see, I had to listen and also make the adjustments if things weren't sounding just right. If the, uh, the, the, the drummer, was, the snare was sounding a little tinny and I had to pull out some of the mid-range frequencies or boost up some of the low end, I had to pay attention to that. If the house was, the sound was starting, sound was starting to sound a little distorted, I had to turn down the gain in the house. And of course, for the vocalists, I always needed to turn up more in the monitors. Amanda was there. She knows what I'm talking about. She was part of it. She was in the group. <laughs> but as I learned these truths, these tasks, it, it dawned on me that, you know, the only time that people would pay attention to the audio engineer is if there was like some sound of feedback from up front, right? Like, and then everybody would turn around and look back. But otherwise, if I was doing my job right, then all the focus was on the artist who got the glory. Oh, somebody didn't catch that. See, when we do our jobs right as creatives, all of us as image bearers, it's not so much about people looking at how much we get it together and got it tight, but how much it is that God will get the glory as the original artist. So today... We're going to focus on the original artists. Because when we frame our vocations, our gifts, and even our entire existence on who God is as the original artist, life opens up in some unexpected ways and takes you on some unexpected journeys that you never intended to go. We're going to speak to three of them today. The first one being a rediscovery of beauty. We have to rediscover beauty. Because even the trained artist's eye can struggle to find beauty in a broken world. Sometimes in weeks like this past week where the ugliness of politics and sexual assault and political gamesmanship and the world can just seem so ugly, that beauty is hard to find. And that's why we need to return back to the beginning. So we're going to start there in, in Genesis chapter 1. But before we go there, let me just pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you created. And what you created, you saw was good. Would you allow us to meet you in these texts with the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight? For you are strength and our redeemer. Amen. The first words that we see in the Bible start within the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> and it's funny because it doesn't beg the question or, 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 or even try to explain why he did it, <laughs> how exactly and what all the minutia was. It just says in the beginning, God self-existent, pre-existent, self-sufficient, created the heavens and the earth. And that word created in Latin is uh, ex nihilo, which means something out of nothing. Oh, this is a type of creation that's different than anything else that we would try to endeavor because, you see, any other time we use raw materials, 
to create something and really recreate it. But that wasn't the methodology of the creator. You know, in our modern mythology, uh, nature is just an accident and it's really just a coincidence and a cosmic series of events that were unintended and uninspired at how we got here. And you know, our understanding of our origins actually have tangible results. Because you see, if, if, if life itself is just an accident, then that means that I am not beholden to anybody and I'm pretty much just living a meaningless life that I could just kind of make up and fabricate one, but it's not really real. And yet here in the text, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It goes on to say, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of the God was hovering over the surface of the waters. <laughs> you see, this is good news because the fact that a God created the earth gives me perspective and gives me reason to understand why I ought to seek justice, why I ought to experience fullness of life, why I ought to participate in a sense of discovering what I'm here to do because there was someone who created me. Why did God create the world? The text doesn't explain that. But it's kind of, I imagine, in some ways similar to asking Beyonce why she created Lemonade. Sometimes you're just glad that a work of art is just there and you don't really want to <laughs> need to know how it got there. Or why did Jay-Z create 444? Well, actually, we know the answer to that one is because Beyonce created Lemonade, but <laughs> that's a different story. But when we get back into the text, it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. <laughs> I don't know if you realize or, or, or understand this, but Genesis chapter 1 is actually a song. It's a song of creation. It's, it's, it's a lyrical, poetic piece of literature, not just a prose historic narrative. So essentially, God's lyrics create life. Now, that's pretty impressive. How, Sway? Five fingers of life right here. <laughs> he says, let there be light. And there was. Call it light, day, and darkness, night, and there was. And what we see even in the text is a rhythm that unfolds. And we get those verses, and then we get the, the, chor the chorus or the hook where it says there was evening and there was morning, one day. If you get to the next verse, it continues on in a similar rhythm. It says, then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning, the second day. You get the rhythm 
of the song right there. And it's interesting because it goes the same way, day three, day four, day five. But just like a good producer, there's a breakbeat that you don't expect in the middle of the song. It says, unexpectedly, there's a, there's a shift. And all of a sudden we see in verse 27, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Whoa. Wait a second. Until this point, there's just speaking of created things and separating things. But all of a sudden here, there's some specific care and attention and focus and intentionality. There's even a conversation. Let us make man in our image. Before it was just let there be and there was. Let there be and there was. But now the triune God forms counsel with himself and says, let us make man. And then we're going to make Humanity in a unique way, not like the elements that we just separated, not even like the birds and the fish that we say we're going to make according to their kind. But when it comes to humanity, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Chapter 2 unfolds the story even more to see how, as Stephener mentioned to us, that God got his hands dirty, literally forming out of the dusty ground, shaping from Adam and his rib a woman, and creating with the creator's intention and actual personal touch. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. (laughs) Without this vision of creation, God's people dry up and perish. With it, it is the natural step for the believer to engage in art, in praise and worship of the one who made us. And with it, we have meaning because of being made in God's image. Immediately, intrinsic worth, intrinsic value, before you start to create anything, it's already preexistent in there. The other thing this passage shows us is that Art made by those who are following and followers of Christ and walking with God need not always be explicitly religious. Did you catch and notice that there wasn't crosses everywhere? There weren't manger scenes everywhere. It was art. It was nature. It was mountains. It was woods. It was valleys. It was rivers. It was seas. The very things that everybody can enjoy regardless of where their particular faith is leads them at this moment. We can all look at a sunset and go, it's good. And in the same way, we can talk about love, like in Song of Solomon. There's some R&B in the text, y'all. You just got to look at it. (laughs) We could do wisdom texts and talk philosophy and talk shop that way, talk about nature. It's all there for us. And God says it is very good. The Christian message doesn't begin with salvation. It begins with creation. And Christianity is not just involved with salvation, but the, the totality of the human experience. And not even just the human experience, but all of creation at that. We reflect the image of God when we rest play and create. One of the things, and we don't have time to go there today, that's so fascinating about this text is it says that after the creation of humanity, that was day six. Day seven, it says God rested. 
Now, I know enough to know my Bible to understand that it wasn't because God was tired. So then why does it say God rested? Well, the word there that it translates rested uh, could, is from the Hebrew Shabbat, which means to cease from work in order to celebrate. He wanted to stop and just stand and go, this is good. Let's just enjoy this for a moment. This is dope. Yes. Excellent. And that is also a picture for us. He says, and he gives them the command that, yo, on the seventh day, rest, play, enjoy, create. It's part of how I wired you to be because you just like your daddy. So we're created for art. We're created to enjoy that art and that process. Second point is to transcend yourself. Now, the reality is, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, we see we are in the midst of a broken and fallen situation that God's pristine creation gets undermined by the man and the woman deciding to rebel and choose their own path toward life. And as a result, sin enters the world. Brokenness enters the world. And now we live in a world that tends to reject the creator's direction. And so tragically, sadly, though it was not always the case as we've just seen, now art is not always good. Aesthetically, it can be whack. <laughs> Ethically, it could be wrong. And sadly, as believers, oftentimes we have forgotten most of what our faith tells us about the arts. And as a result of that, we become threatened by imagination and fantasy. <laughs> it's funny. I think many people have had that experience. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I've talked to enough folks who have had this experience where, and I'll just kind of do a poll test if, if this kind of represents you, that if you were told at some point that you couldn't listen to a certain radio station or you couldn't read certain books, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, any, raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, that's a lot of folks in here. And I'm not talking about, like, just straight up not age appropriate, but this sense of, like, danger, right? I mean, I remember about 15 years ago, Harry Potter was like, no, you can't read that. You're going to fall. Like, it's going, the mark of the beast is in that book. And so oftentimes what this has led to this unfortunate splintering that happens between the way of, of creation and art and where, the way that the church's posture is. And it's led us down this path where because there's not an appreciation of both the truth that we want to proclaim and the beauty that we need to appreciate, we end up being all truth and no beauty. I'll give you a couple examples. Here's a church sign. We're all about that grace, about that grace, no devil. Now, unfortunately, it's like, okay, we can't do nothing but flip a Megan Trainer song. Like, 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 like we, we, oftentimes we're just known as copycats or at least just antagonistic to pop culture and pop music. Another thing, right? So we also have an overly simplified kind of version of theology. We see shirts like this, right? Jesus, it's just that easy. And then it says in the fine print, life's problems, one solution. Now, this is a take on Staples, right, that had the easy button. 
And then on the commercial, it was like, hey, you know, you got a problem at the office? Push the button. And then everything, your problems are solved. So the idea and the message is this is an oversimplification of reality. Because the scenario is that oftentimes when people are coming back and they have a loved one that just got diagnosed with cancer, they just lost their job, it's not as simple as hit a Jesus button. Sometimes the reality is that our faith causes us to go through some things, some hardships, and we can't just overly simplify a message and act like even our lives work that way. And in doing so, we end up not only just creating whack art, that's just flat and unrealistic and not real, but it also speaks to this issue of just being completely separate from being authentic, which is the very thing that our world is hungry for. We forgot that God made a good world for us to enjoy and that enjoying it is part of that initial mandate, but that the fall has created complications and brokenness and situations that we have to kind of work that thing out So the church has prioritized truth over beauty, and the unchurched have prioritized beauty over truth. Yeah, in our culture, as long as the art is done skillfully, as long as it's dope, it really doesn't matter if it benefits anyone or harms anyone. The reality was it wasn't until even recently that R. Kelly started to get canceled even though people knew 10, 15 years ago what he was on. Because we want to step in the name of God. But the Bible predicts this and anticipates this in Romans chapter 1. Check out what Paul says when he he explains the kind of current circumstance and situation. It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Paul is saying that, look, God... We can see that he exists and we can understand his eternal power and divine nature because of creation. Sin is a perversion. It is anti-creation. It is corrupt. It is what titillates and dirties what it exposes. It puffs up into an empty bubble and then breaks that which it champions. The next verse goes on to say, for although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's the thing. The reality that this is pointing to is that art is so dynamic, it is so powerful, that if you do not keep the right perspective and right lens on it, it can get you to worship the thing instead of the thing that God is supposed to be be pointing to God. And we see this nowadays. We go, well, wait a minute. We're no longer worshiping idols in this country. That's not a thing in our society. I'm like, really? Because last time I checked, we have American idols. We look at celebrities and we put them on these pedestals and we don't have to worship the stars in the sky because the stars are right there in our Instagram account. We follow and and, and we just absorb anything that they have to say and to do. And, And ultimately, oftentimes, we become exchanging the glory that only belongs to God for that which resembles people or other things. 
And the tragedy with this is it has a double-edged dynamic to it where it hurts both the worshiper and the worshipped. So, for example, one of the most popular songs in the last 24 months or so, Exo Tour Life. This is what Lil Uzi Vert has to say. I blow my brain out. Hey, Zanny, help the pain. Yeah, please, Zanny, make it go away. I'm committed, not addicted, but it keep control of me. Push me to the edge. All my friends are dead. Now, here's the reality in this, that there are some truths that Uzi is talking about that we must not ignore. He's speaking to some issues of pain and loss and suffering that is real. When he kind of quotes this woman that he's talking to in the song. But unfortunately, the solutions just stay on the human level. And even in a disastrous way, it's saying, oh, this is what I need to do. I'm I'm considering suicide and taking these drugs. And that somehow I have to self-medicate in order to get myself right. Now, again, we know that and we see even throughout the scriptures that art does explore the darkness and does go into these deep places. But far too often in our culture, we glorify the pain and don't move from there. And this isn't about, you know, secular hip-hop or not, because the reality is, I mean, there's other examples of folks who do point us to light. I mean, Kendrick, when he says, sit down and be humble, that's something that we need to take seriously about. Chance and others give us good insights and windows into situations that we can see and, and kind of have the common grace of knowing that there's reality here that it's speaking to. But there's an underground drug culture that is sweeping through our nation and in the midst of an opioid crisis that we look at and we go, man, we have to come up with art that reflects reality. But here's the problem. Artists need people who don't just care about how cool they are or how talented they are or what celebrities that they're near. Artists need people who will love them enough not to be starstruck and ask them, how you doing? How you doing? And not just how you doing because I expect you to be in some like particularly fallen state because, you know, you in that art space, right? So that's bad. But just how you doing as a human being and a person. This is a key part of what it means. Listen to what Professor N.T. Wright has said about this aspect of how we need the duality of not just where things are and telling it like it is, but also telling it how it ought to be. He says, art at its best draws attention not only to the way things are, but also to the way things will be. When the earth is filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. What they're saying is there's an element of hope that has to be in our expression and our creativity. Not in every particular piece, but overall as a, as a narrative that we have to hold to. We have to push back against the thing that is especially challenging when you're in the midst of creating art, which is narcissism. I'm just going to be real because, you know, this is me too and I'm not trying to shade, but the reality is when you put yourself in a risky space when you decide, I am going to try to put something out there that other people can create, I mean critique. That is a hard place to put yourself in. And if you're not tethered to a reality that says, yo, this is not my identity, I am not what I make, then it can oftentimes can lead you, lead you to a place where you are overly insecure or overly narcissistic and proud. 
And neither one of those places puts you in a spot where it is actually a healthy place to be where I'm creating, not from a sense of how other people will perceive me, but just out of the abundance of who God made me to be. So here's the dynamic. There's this, this contrast and this polarization of truth and beauty that we see that has just kind of saturated our society. And, and it's interesting because there's been even been research that have been done to kind of see how some of us are more kind of truth-oriented and others are more beauty-oriented. Some refer to it as left-brain activities and right-brain. Like left-brain activities are analyzing, calculating, and organizing, right? That's kind of that part of our brain, and some of us can kind of camp out there. And the reality is, as a society, we've squeezed out a lot of the space for those right brain activities of imagination, storytelling, and intuitive thinking. And especially in the church, we see a, oftentimes a, a lack of value for those things. But we have to live in a world in which we value and appreciate both. So let me ask you, do you prioritize truth or beauty? We all tend to kind of land and lend ourselves to one side of that spectrum or the other. Where do you land? <laughs> well, here's the good news. It says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He lived a symphonic life that masterfully played the strings so well of truth and beauty that you couldn't even tell at one point was he playing the note of truth or beauty. They were all intermingled in a harmonious mixture. And that is the type of art that leads us to the last point, and that is to live beautifully. We're to live beautifully. You see, this aspect of being a masterpiece is not just about what we make, but who we are. And far too often, our society only cares about one and not the other. You know, recently I was just reading about how Apple, 20 years ago, was 90 days from bankruptcy. I mean, going the way of Toys R Us. Like, bye, Jeffrey. <laughs> that was pretty sad. That still hurt me. But think about that. 90 days away. And in August, it became the first American company to be worth $1 trillion. Okay, one, like, non-zeros. Like, all right, just to kind of put that in perspective, that means Apple as a company is worth more than Saudi Arabia with its oil. As a nation, it's more than its GDP, gross domestic product. Sweden. Okay, that doesn't impress you, GDP. All right, let me put it on. If you add, all right, take the 10 wealthiest people in the world, like Mark Zuckerberg and the Google guys and uh, Jeff Bezos with Amazon, right? Take all of their worth, their net worth, add it together. The 10 most wealthy people in the world in Apple is worth more than that. And when you look at this story, it's, it's been a, a, a process of him combining technology with art, right? And, and creating these devices, many of which we use in this room, to do life better. And it's literally changed the way that we do things. But as he was often prone to say in his presentations when he would roll out a new iPhone or iPad, but wait, there's more. Also, this is the same person that his daughter, Lisa Jobs, has just written, written a book about recently. And she talks about the time when she was seven years old and she asked 
her dad, who had just released a computer called Lisa. And she said, hey, is, was, did you name it after me? And he said, nope, sorry, kid. You see, at the time, he was denying her being his child. And even though a paternity test showed conclusively that he was, he continued to reject the claim and even resist to pay child support when he was worth millions. His quest for a beautiful narrative of his own life made her an inconvenient truth that he did not want to deal with. And he would later finally admit it, but also say, don't think any of this is yours. You're not getting anything. That $1 trillion that we're talking about, that has nothing to do with you. And sadly, tragically, too often we tend to prioritize beauty over truth or truth over beauty. He made beautiful things, but he neglected his daughter. He did not live beautifully. And it reminds me of what Jesus asked the question, what profited a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit us to create but do it in such a way where we're marginalized ourselves and alienate the people who are closest around us? Spiritually speaking, not much, less than that. But thankfully, God accomplishes both. And we have other examples we can celebrate. Recently, you know, we honored the uh, life of Aretha Franklin, who started her recording career as a teenager at her father's church. She grew up singing gospel music and Immediately, people saw the talent and the ability there, and she ended up crossing over into R&B and considered, I mean, still until last year, she had the record for the most amount of hit songs, top 100 of any woman ever, 73 songs charted. In addition to that, it was amazing if you watch any part of the seven-hour-long funeral, and saw the dignitaries there, presidents, heads of state. They weren't there simply because she was such an icon musically, although she was. And people talked about stories of her. She was so good at her craft one time when Luciano Pavarotti was got sick. He was an, a, a great esteemed opera singer. She stepped in two hours before the Grammys and killed it, nailed it, in a genre that wasn't even her own. But the thing that people talked about so frequently was not that, but how when Angela Davis was wrongly accused and put in prison, she put $250,000 to bail her out. How when Martin Luther King Jr. was organizing around that she sang and participated in those events. How even as recently as two years ago when the Flint water crisis was happening, she bought hotel rooms so that people who could not drink water had a place to go. This is what... Queen of Soul says, she said, being the queen is not all about singing and being a diva is not all about singing. She said of her fame, it has much to do with your service to people and your social contributions to your community and your civic contributions as well. <laughs> she lived life beautifully. She, she took care of her craft. I mean, she, she was the queen of soul. I mean, that was undisputed, right? And the amazing thing is whether the genre was gospel or, or R&B ballads or whatever, it, was, it didn't matter because it was how she lived her life. 
Well, we see the story continue. The first verse in stanza is in Genesis chapter 1, but we got a second verse that comes in the New Testament as well. In John chapter 1, check out the pattern. He writes off and starts, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were, look, created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. John making it very clear that when that triune council got together in Genesis chapter 1 and said, let us make man in our image, the let us, Jesus was in that conversation and not just in it, pushing the agenda of creation forward. And it says that the word was with God and the word was God. And then to just dispel any type of curiosity by verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory. (laughs) Don't miss the picture here. That God himself is a community. A community and a circle of love that says, I want to expand that circle and invite you into it. And even though we live in a sin-broken world of rebellion, that didn't stop God from bringing both beauty and truth. John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. (laughs) Y'all don't see, y'all ain't getting this. All right. The painter put himself in the painting to recreate us who got destroyed in the painting. But John goes on to tell us that people love darkness rather than light. And so, in spite of living a life of beauty and a life of truth, they took him to the cross. Maybe not in spite of it, but because of it. But because you see, everybody don't like beauty and truth. And while he was there on the cross, it says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, you don't get what's happening here. Tim Keller puts it this way, that on the cross, he was decreated and deconstructed. The opposite of what happens at the creation happens at the cross. Instead of a conversation of let us, he's saying, why am I alone? Instead of something being made, something is being destroyed. And in that moment, we see Jesus is playing the blue notes. Some of y'all musicians know about the blue notes. There's some chords and some some movements in the music that just kind of naturally have this melancholy vibe to it. And this song that he's singing is a quote from Psalm 22, a literal song in the Bible. In fact, to show you how much God is a creative, the longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. And he quotes this psalm that in this moment illustrates a sense of brokenness. And yet at the same time, there's improvisation like jazz. Because you see, there's some resolution that comes at the end of the song. And in that moment, even though we see that they stretched them wide and hung them high, we know that there was another breakbeat coming, another remix that coming that that didn't end the story, right? And much like a song in the midst of a party where you're like, yo, DJ, you got to run that back. God was like, Jesus, we got to run that back. And it says early Sunday morning, he got up again and he rose again. And that wasn't the end of the story. But there's more. We get to finish the song, y'all. We get to finish the song. The third verse 
goes a little something like this. Hit it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says this, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Y'all don't see that God got bars. I'm telling you, like this is, <laughs> there's a, some savage wordplay that's happening right now in this text. He's saying, he's establishing the fact that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that we can't work for anything, but God's grace is the gift that keeps on giving. The one who was rejected has now become the gift. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. But then he says, so it's not from your works. And that's the first time that the word works appears in this passage, but not the last. Because then he flips it. You're not saved by your works so that no one could boast. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, before Rihanna was kicking it, he was talking about some work, 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 work. You see, and what happens here is that this word workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem from. Do you understand what God is saying here is that you are his bars. You are his masterpiece. You are his handiwork, and he has created you in Christ Jesus. But wait, there's more. Four good works. <laughs> you weren't saved by your works, but you were saved for good works, for stuff to do that he prepared beforehand that we will walk in them. You see, it's already been preordained. The story has already been written, but now we get to be a part of the song and write our bars to the mix. But look at what it's saying here. It's saying that essentially that the workmanship has less to do with the stuff that you make and more to do with the way that you live. Your life is the masterpiece that he's talking about here. Your life is the workmanship. And when we combine those together, my brothers and sisters, we come up with a beautiful masterpiece. This is how Dr. Francis Schaeffer put it. The Christian's life is to be an artwork, a thing of truth and beauty in the midst of a lost and despairing world. We are to be the contrast that gets people to look up, to be the sound engineer in the back of the room that is tweaking the EQs and the sounds just right so that people can hear the frequencies of grace. Jesus put it this way and said, let your light so shine. Remember, let there be light in the very beginning. He now says, let your light so shine. Why? So that people can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They'll hear the symphony of your life and say, that was a life beautifully lived. That's what it's supposed to look like. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter if you sing, rap, dance, do accounting, audio engineering, operate trains, that we were created to be creative. And solving problems is part of what it looks like to be made in the image of God. Will you take up the mantle 
of realizing and embracing that regardless of what the world says about you, you're a masterpiece. You were made for more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the original artist and that you didn't just stop with the mountains and the moon and say it is good, but you made us and said it is very good. Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust you, that you have more for us, that we're supposed to reflect you. Help us rediscover beauty. Help us to transcend ourselves and realize our purpose. Lord, help us to live beautifully. In Christ's name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.